Lockdown Diaries with Jack Kirby Lowe, episode 30. Hello, uh, how are you doing? It is five past eight on the 7th of June. I hope everyone's well. I'm, I'm okay. I'm feeling a bit better than I have done this week. Um, I did record a uh, an entry the other day, um, but for a couple of reasons I haven't posted it. Firstly, it was um, I was walking on uh, Thursday morning, and I was walking on some busy roads, and the traffic was just awful. Um, normally, I walk on quite quiet roads. But even when a car's coming, uh, the microphone picks it up quite loud, so I didn't even bother checking on this busy road because I just knew it would be awful. And secondly, uh, it's very down, very down on Thursday, um, just with one thing and another, mostly stuff in the news, which I think I did talk about previously. And it just, whilst it was good for me to talk it through, I don't know that there was an awful lot of value in putting out something that A didn't was basically unlistenable and B was just me <laughs> sort of regurgitating um, a lot of terrible stuff that's going on. Because, you know, I'm fairly sure everyone's pretty aware. I don't know that anyone especially needs my take on it. Um, but yeah, to recap, the reason I was walking on Thursday morning was to go to a car rental place because for various different reasons, we needed a car, I didn't have a car, I don't have a car normally, but uh, our mother-in-law, my mother-in-law's car was out of action and we had to go to the hospital for our final baby scan, which, uh, which we did. So I had to walk and get a car, got the car, came, picked up Lauren, went to hospital, dropped her off. I went and waited in a supermarket car park, and um, yeah, she gave me a call when she was finished, went and collected her, came home, got to work, <laughs> and uh, took the car back in the evening. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a long-winded approach, but just what we felt was most necessary to do in order to maintain as much isolation and social distancing from other people as possible, which we are very much trying to maintain at least until baby arrives. Don't want Lauren catching anything while she's pregnant. Don't particularly want her catching anything after she's pregnant as well, and certainly not the baby. So we are maintaining a stricter lockdown than many, even if even if there's been some loosening of restrictions recently. So, yeah, that was Thursday. And, yeah, so that was that was all good, really. Everything is fine. Baby's shifted into a more normal position as well, which is good. Previously, he was lying lengthways, which ain't great but has moved into a head-down position. So as long as he maintains that over the next few weeks, uh, we're cooking on gas. 
so that's good. Um, yeah, that was the first day, but I, yeah, I was a bit nervous about that here because, um, well, I, I don't drive very frequently. As I say, I don't have our own car, so I don't know, maybe once a year or so we'll hire a car for a trip up north or, or something like that. Um, and yeah, I don't, yeah, because I'm not doing it so frequently, it's always a little bit of a nervous thing picking up the driving again. Like, I mean, you don't. I mean, to use a cliche, it is a bit like riding a bike. Don't really forget how to do it. But, um, you know, what if my brain has just removed that part of my thinking uh, over the last uh, few months or something like that? But it's fine. But I don't, I do, you know, I don't like um, driving in London or even the outskirts. It's quite nice. I learned to drive in my hometown in Scarborough and, you know, it's not a small town especially. No, middle-sized. Whatever. Um, but, you know, people drive nicely, sanely. People in London don't. I know, again, that sounds like a pretty silly cliche, but, but my lived experience says that it's true. <laughs> I think as well, you know, I think it's a combination of A, people are more aggressive, probably because there's a lot more people on the roads, and therefore it is more stressful, and the proportion of bad drivers is therefore higher as well. But um, I think as well, just sort of the, some of London's roads are just kind of a hodgepodge, <laughs> sort of, there's old bits, new bits, things all mashed up together really and uh, ugh, it's uh, quite as smooth and sane system as it perhaps could be so yeah those factors combined to make driving a little bit nervous and yeah I think speaking to colleagues and things I think everyone's sort of and friends um, this last week or so, I think a lot of people have found this quite a quite a challenging week. I don't know, I sort of, I guess, the fact that the lockdown rules have changed and they just seem a bit more vague. And I mean, I think they were relatively straightforward up to now, or up to the last couple of weeks, when they first came in anyway. Relatively straightforward. Stay in home, stay at home, and that's it. Really, go out for exercise once a day, and if you must go to the shop, you can do so, or to hospital or whatever. But um, that was all fairly clear. And now it's all a bit like, well, a person can come to your back garden, but no modern six and this, that, and the other. And I don't know. There's a sort of a sense when it was all pretty much one rule that everyone was able to follow and apply to everyone equally. There's more of a sense of everyone being in it together, that sort of, again, for the third time. Massive cliche, but you sort of have that blitz spirit thing, I think. And, you know, once the rules seem a bit vague, and some people are choosing to, like us, um, follow them more strictly, or follow more strict interpretations of what should be happening than what's actually been advised, 
you know, people have different ideas and stuff, and it's difficult. You know, the, you know, the little neighbourhood community WhatsApp chats, chats seem less active than they did, and I think, you know, the rules changing and people having different responses to it is one thing, but I do just think, you know, there's a bit of fatigue that has come in, really. And, you know, not to bang bang the drum again, but, you know, the, the Dominic Cummings thing. I think people would have got bored of it anyway, and would have started deciding that they're not going to follow the rules quite as strictly or whatever, but I think that's been a bit of a catalyst for the wheels coming off a little bit, um, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and without, I don't know. Anyway, so that's that's obviously been a, a bit of a factor, and I think of, again, I know I covered this, but the news cycle that's moved on to the Black Black Lives Matter uh, protests and George Floyd killing and everything that's come out of that. Um, yeah, again, it's. I mean, I I think it's incredibly positive that people are. You know, thousands, millions of people are speaking with one voice against injustice. That's who, you know, can't ever fail to be inspired by that. But obviously it's come about, you know, once again, from the most despicable of circumstances. You know, it's just another straw on the camel's back. Maybe one day it will finally break. But, um... And again, not to not to repeat myself, but I do just freak out a bit, freak out a little bit just about the protests and oh, Jay Bird up there. Hello, Mr. Jay. Um, just you know the fact that some people and I know you can wear a mask and you can attempt to social distance. The footage you see doesn't look safe by what the standards that we've come to expect I suppose um, but that isn't to say you know this is obviously this is a massive massive issue I mean, it's literally life and death that we're talking about um, in much the same way as the viruses but um, yeah I, I don't I wouldn't tell anyone not to go out and not to process protest if it's you know what they believe and that they need to do as a point of principle. What does annoy me is I saw a tweet from Gary Lineker this morning. I like Gary Lineker. I think he's a I think he's good at his job as a um well, he's not a pundit is he but the host of Match of the Day and uh he seems like a fairly nice chap and he occasionally <laughs> yeah he he's written columns in the New Statesman and things, and on his Twitter account he's said vaguely progressive stuff that I don't know, I, <laughs> you know, stuff about isn't it sad that refugees die and things like that. Stuff that honestly I don't think is controversial and really isn't. <laughs> and everything's political, but to be honest, <laughs> isn't it sad when people die? I don't think that's a, a particularly uh, uh, loaded political statement. Um, he's somehow sort of characterised by, well, 
people's whose opinions really don't matter to me actually but he is characterized a bit as a lefty lovey which i think is just a bit <laughs> a bit ridiculous really but he seems like a nice chap but uh he said something on his twitter account to the effect you know uh something to the effect that there's no difference between all the people going out protesting black lives matter protesting in favor of that i should say and um all the people that flocked to beaches and things the weekend in their holds and droves and saying they're both wrong and stupid and look at face value yes mass gatherings over there at the beach for a jolly or for as part of a protest movement are dangerous and i think inevitably i think some of the people that gathered there are going to get ill and they're going to infect the people around them but to gloss over the reasons that these people are doing it, which are completely different, I think is just a bit irresponsible, really, of, of Lineker, or deliberately missing the point, or if he's not deliberately missing the point, then he's a bit dumb. Because there's a massive difference between people going to the beach to get a suntan and eat an ice cream and have a nice day than there is between people literally protesting systemic racism that kills people. You know, like, I, I, you can t say that, as I have said, like, I personally wouldn't feel safe going out on the streets to protest this myself right now. But that's a choice, you know? Um, but if you have decided that this is important, it's very different from going to the beach. And no, I don't think it's selfish. I think you're still, the act of protest is going out to speak out on behalf of others. It's about joining up with other people to protest something. People who went to the beach, I'm sorry, I just think you're selfish. Um, but yeah, it's just a bit, yeah, as I'm saying, there's, there's more nuance to it than a slightly glib tweet can really portray. Or, uh, I don't know it could have been written better with more sophistication slightly disappointed to see uh victoria corin mitchell again another person that i have a lot of time for uh sort of backing up on that but hey you know i'm not, not i'm not cancelling them it's fine they can say that i don't agree with them but it is fine to say well is it fine i don't know i'm not gonna <laughs> not going to let it ruin a week and i'm still going to watch on the connect and occasionally match of the day when I can be bothered and to stay up that late. But yeah, a bit disappointing. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren thinks I'm too on the fence about stuff. Um, which she's probably got a point. <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah. I'm disappointed by things rather than outrage and excised, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, well, I don't know, I've been hmm. <laughs> shared things on Facebook. I am usually a bit barely post on my Facebook at all, but you know, being the absolute hero that I am, I put a few, shared a few pretty, pretty cutting posts about Black Lives Matter, which I think will really show, really show the racists for what's up. So yeah, thank you later, guys. 
so yeah good times um the other reason i'm feeling a bit more positive today um apart from positive uh scan results and apart from taking another blooming day off in the week on friday had a day off um is is uh we had a virtual baby shower this afternoon a sunday afternoon which was nice it was really nice i was quite it's a bit like um you know if you're gonna stag do or hen do or i don't know any other situation where you're sort of bringing um different sort of social groups together I always find those uh, those situations um, slightly difficult to manage if I'm sort of the instigator and or host or whatever of said event. I'm part of them. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a bit funny. Like, um, I've been to stag do's in the past and you'll have the group chat or whatever beforehand planning and you'll see people coming on it and you're like, who is this joker? Or whatever and then you think mm, i'm just gonna stick to my friends and yeah i don't know about these guys but then you know when you actually get to them like of course everyone's fine well nine times out of ten everyone's fine because they're friends of your friend you know so they're never gonna be that awful are they so <laughs> so usually it's fine if you're sort of going along but yeah as the sort of organizer of an event like that you do sort of worry about the balance a little bit so we had um, Lauren's friends from school, work, college, stuff like that. My friends from the same things. I mean, obviously, like our, her friends are my friends, and my friends are her friends. But obviously, whoever is the main or original friend is always going to be slightly more connected, aren't they? So different sort of friend circles, and my relations as well. Um, so. You know, um, and Lauren's mum was there with us. Um, so yeah, just you know, a bit of a mix of different people. So you do wonder, and as well, there's the added, added uh, spice of it being on Zoom, which is pretty, pretty um, unconducive to good. Socialising anyway, even with close friendship groups, it's sort of quite tricky to have a natural feeling conversation on the app, on the program, whatever it is. But it went fine. It did. It did rely sort of on, I guess, me really to sort of lead the conversation and things. Because you can't all just chat, and it's not like you can break up into little groups. Um, but yeah, so to try and sort of keep it flowing, we had a few activities. Um, I'd asked everyone, um, I had Lauren's back. Um, she wasn't really sure what was going on. We agreed as certain things, but beyond that, she didn't really know what was happening. Um, so I asked everyone to send in a baby picture, pop them all in a PowerPoint. Little fox trotting along the road. Hello, mate. Um, put them all in a... Uh, PowerPoint, uh, put a little clue to who everyone was, put in a current photo of everyone, so went through that, did a screen share, I mean it's mostly for Lauren, again most people would only know of proportion of 
people that submitted photos anyway. But that was good. I really enjoyed that. It was a good little starter activity. And I'd also asked everyone, or, uh, yeah, well, I asked everyone, and a lot of people responded for just little video messages, which I'd stitched together as well, adding exciting star wipes and things like that, which was good fun. <laughs> but yeah, um, so they were really sweet. And, you know, there was some quite, um, you know, people were sending me these messages on WhatsApp in the few last few weeks um and i didn't watch any of them really until until i was putting them all together eh because it's a little bit tricky to watch a video on your phone when a lot of the time lauren's hanging around anyway if you're trying to keep it a secret b i don't know i just like it's a bit motions in it <laughs> feelings and things it's like oh <laughs> I'm just sort of mentally prepare myself for people saying nice things about us which I don't know I, I actually I'm not the only person that thinks that but um yeah it was <laughs> so yeah I was putting together it was quite <laughs> quite moving really because you know people being lovely say lovely things and it's nice to hear that but I don't know I find it difficult to listen to people being nice so yeah that was good so put all that together and people said lovely things my sister did quite a long one with some good advice or she would put it stuff she wished she'd known when she had her baby um so that was grand um we had a couple of presents to look at that people had sent um as well uh our kaya who you may be hearing more of soon uh, she she did a little game, a little close-up of baby items, and had to guess what that was. That was fun. And yeah, my friend Seals, I forgot to share it on the Zoom, but he did a little uh, cover version of uh, We Didn't Start the Fire with appropriate 2020-themed lyrics, uh, which was very funny. He's a funny guy. Um... But I forgot to share that. <laughs> so I uh, uh, sent it around to people afterwards. But that was fine. So yeah, it was really nice. Um, just sort of updating people on where we're at. Because I don't know if anyone else has experienced this or not. But I sort of find it difficult to remember what you told everyone. Have you told everyone that it's a boy? Have you told everyone when the last scan was? Have you told everyone that it's a name? That kind of thing. Um, so yeah, good to uh, inform a whole bunch of people at once, I guess, on the latest. So that was really good. So yeah, and Lauren enjoyed it. She she thought it was nice, and that was the main thing. Um, something she'd really been looking forward to, actually. She's not enjoyed pregnancy, and which is more than fair enough. Yeah, it's been quite challenging for her for a number of different reasons, but. Um, one thing she was looking forward to was having a baby shower and, uh, you know, having a little get-together with friends in the garden, a barbecue or something like that. So, yeah, um, when the lockdown came in, that was obviously something that she was quite sad to miss. Um, so, yeah, well, having a Zoom replacement would be the next best thing and... Yeah, it was good. We'd, um, I'm not really sure how long it would be, and I, and I thought people would drop in and out of it. Eventually, did to a point, picked up at four, 
went on to about 20 past five or something. It's not late ages, but you know, once we've sort of done the activity stuff, it's, uh, you know, you can sort of tell people things, but again, it's just difficult to sort of have chats and things. So we kind of wrapped it up and, you know, people checked in and said how they were and things like that. I had, um, <laughs> I sort of set up a, an Excel or Google document spreadsheet uh, where people could put the name down and then guess the date of the baby's arrival and its weight and what time it would come as well. Um, which I sort of went round and people engaging there. I sort of became quite aware of sort of one by one going through people and filling in a spreadsheet, which I didn't think was the most exciting thing to do in the world. <laughs> it occurred to me part way through. So I just got people to text me their guesses. But that was fine. It was fine. So, yeah. Generally, pretty good. So, yeah, that's made me feel good bit happier really so yeah positive things positive things my friend Dave who's been doing shopping for us and dropping it around um, uh, he brought a few bits and pieces so some non-alcoholic Prosecco and uh, some gluten-free bits and cake and whatnot Lauren doesn't eat gluten upsets her tummy so yeah he helped with that so that was really good of him and he said that would be his contribution sort of thing so yeah lovely lovely stuff really i hadn't mentioned it yet but i'm uh i'm without ludo today he went for a walk earlier today and yeah, it was said he could maybe do a 10 minute walk, but I felt like a longer walk than that. Don't want to tire him out too much. He's still quite young, about 10 months old, and apparently you're not supposed to walk them too much when they're that age. Um, so yeah, I'm Sans dog, which is actually quite, quite relaxing. He's been a little bit tricky, the dog has, uh, just the last week or so really. Um, started, I don't know what started, every now and again you'll have a wee in the house, which, uh, which obviously ain't great, but is perhaps to be expected, but the last few, yeah, the last three or four days in a row, he's had a, had a wee accident, um, which I don't know really, I'm not really sure what's up. They could have perhaps some sort of bladder infection, something like that, maybe. But he has been to the vets recently after he ate something he shouldn't have and stayed there for a couple of days. Probably mentioned that. And I don't know, you'd think he'd probably pick up on if he was peeing quite a lot. Maybe. Don't know. Um, you know, if he was in their care for a while, they'd have noticed how frequently he's weeing. But I don't know, I'm not a vet. Shock. Um, so that could be it. Um, I don't know, I sort of think it might be more... He was going to obedience classes and trained and stuff, but I'm not sure if... Obviously they're not happening at the moment, so... I don't know if he's maybe regressed a little bit. Or if puppy's just go back and forth and they're weeing <laughs> perhaps I don't know I mean 
uh, yeah, Janet is my mother-in-law, his owner. Says he's, you know, he doesn't doesn't go like that in the house at her house. So I was wondering, you know, maybe is he missing his house? Is he a bit freaked out? But he's been, they've both been with us since, well, mid-March now. So in all likelihood, he's forgotten all about his actual house. So I don't know if it can be that really. But um, yeah, weird one. If anyone knows anything about dog wee behaviors, you know, let me know. Um, I finished the um, How to Argue a Racist book by Adam Rutherford, which I believe I mentioned earlier, um, which I'd recommend. Um, Not a a long read. I made a meal out of it because of my terrible attention span these days. But yeah, it's only 180-something pages, so not particularly daunting lengthwise. Uh, it's always the first thing I look at with a book. I, when I was uh, uh, at university, I studied English and had to read quite a lot of books in any given week. Uh, so I'd always sort of start by looking how many pages the book was because then roughly work out how long it took to read it. I think if I was properly reading something, I'd probably spend about 30 to 60 seconds a page, probably. Uh, is that long? Is that short? I don't really know. But you can sort of use that to work out. Uh, I have to say, sometimes I very much skimmed books. So North and South by is that Elizabeth Gaskell. I had to read that, and I didn't leave myself enough time. I left myself a day to read that. probably should have just watched a film or the adaptation of it, but I didn't. I sort of read the book in a day, which I really didn't. You know, I looked at every single page of the book within a day, how much I took in. Oh, I can tell you what it's about now, so whether I actually took anything in that time, I do not know. But yeah, that's not a sensible approach. <laughs> but yes, generally, yeah, so, uh, so I'm very much in the habit of checking how long a book is before I start it, so that's a reasonable idea of what to expect. Um, but yes, <laughs> that's all to say that How to Argue a Racist is not a particularly long book. So I enjoyed it. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, Adam Rutherford is a geneticist, so it's his perspective on why arguments that racists would put forward are a load of rubbish, basically. Um, it's not, I mean, he does obviously touch on, I mean, you can't avoid sociological issues, but the, the sort of the sway of the book is from a scientific point of view. Um, I mean, his key argument really is that racist people that would purport to use science to um, make their, to justify their heinous beliefs are really barking up the wrong tree. Because as far as he's concerned, um, trying to be as unbiased as possible, science in no way supports any of the kind of claims that racists might make. Um, so yes, uh, it felt like kind of a appropriate book to be reading in the current climate 
Um, so I was glad. I mean, as I say, started it a while ago. Didn't pick it up again uh, to finish until just this week. But um, yes, yeah, so that was prior to uh, George Floyd's murder. Um, but yeah, it felt appropriate to finish it at the moment. So yeah, I mean, I don't know, with these things, like, I sort of highly doubt anyone that can really benefit from a better understanding of these things is ever really likely to pick up the book, which is a shame. So, you know, he's, anyone that's reading it is probably preaching to the choir. I mean, you know, his ethos is ethos. I don't know. It's a set of things that you can use to discuss with people. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, you know, I, I, I fully think the book is a positive thing to have in the world. Uh, <laughs> sorry, again, that sounds quite non-committal, doesn't it? Yes, but I agree. And you know, maybe some people will try and challenge their own views. But, you know, there's very few people that would openly describe themselves as racist. And the ones that do, you know, they're probably uh, not the ones looking to change their opinions. But there you are. Yeah, I think the only, uh, I don't know, the only other thing of any cultural significance I've been done today is, uh, done today, done since I last updated, uh, watched three and a bit episodes of the Space Force program on Netflix. I'm not a very good television watcher, the only thing I watch really, currently, at the moment, with any kind of regularity is the Andrew Marshall, which I might talk about in a minute, but, um, yeah, I, I'm the person that uh, subscribes to the Netflix account and has shared it with the requisite people. But I really don't want to try much on it, unfortunately. But um, Ben, friend, Ben, friend, Ben, uh, suggested giving Space Force a go, and it, you know, seemed vaguely uh, in line with the kind of thing I might like. Um, so anyone that doesn't know, it's a new. Uh, Drama, comedy, drama. Uh, I thought it was more straight up, going to be more straight up comedy, but it does lean quite, quite towards the sort of dramatic stuff, um, dramedy, whatever. And it's about Steve Carell, who is put in charge of Space Force, which is the new military branch. Um, I guess, I mean, it's quite remarkable. So obviously, in real life, Donald Trump has announced the start of this and I guess they must have taken that and then written and produced and shot this whole thing which is quite an impressive turnaround um yeah I don't know I don't feel like that was that long ago maybe it was I don't know but um yes so it's sort of based on this real life thing um yeah and it's steep it's a bit it's a bit hard to pitch because it kind of feels a little bit between quite screwball, slightly goofy, not very realistic sort of stuff, but then also sort of is relatively grounded in real life. And it doesn't seem 
to completely occupy know what it's occupying. I mean, I think it's I don't know. So I, I guess on the face of it, it's sort of a workplace comedy. And there's you know there's some sort of nods to that I think in the casting. So obviously, again, not watched it, but Steve Carell is obviously well known for the American Office. And you've got your man, I don't know his name, but he plays Jean Ralphio in Parks and Rec, which is kind of sort of a spin-off from The Office at some point in its gestation. So he's in it as well. So, yeah, I guess that's sort of why my expectations were it would be a bit more sitcom-y than dramedy. But, uh, yeah, it sort of veers between them. And I think, yeah, so with Steve Carell's character, he's... I, it's hard to say whether he's supposed to be competent or incompetent, and he's sort of both, but veers wildly between them. So, I mean, you know, that's sort of how a workplace comedy works. Like, you've got to... the characters can't just be complete competent people at all the time, because otherwise you're just watching, you know, stuff happen properly as it should. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I say, I've only watched the first sort of three episodes or so, but um sort of flits between being quite competent and being incompetent so I don't know there's a at the end of the first episode I think so he's sort of at odds with he's obviously a military background and you've got uh, your man uh, John Malkovich as sort of the lead scientist and their agendas are slightly at odds with each other and yeah, so at the end of the uh, first episode, they sort of have a a kind of a reconciliation. It's sort of, well, they um, they recognise the strengths that each other has, and yeah, they sort of think, oh, okay, this super guy isn't just a bumbling idiot. He does have stuff to offer, and it's you know that could be quite an interesting dynamic. And then in the next episode, he's sort of trying to get a chimp and a dog to repair a settlement which just isn't going to happen but he seems very convinced that he can do it and then the third episode I watched was sort of a um, going to congress to argue for an extended budget and again even within that sequence he sort of behaves incompetently and stupidly in a way that wouldn't really happen but then also is able to turn it around and give quite a good speech about why you should have a better budget and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Often with um, opening episodes of particularly comedies, I find that it does take a little while for shows to find the feet. I mean, I don't really know how that figures in the Netflix model, really, when it's all been done and dusted and you've just got them all at once. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll probably watch some more of it. But this is it. I do struggle to commit to it. But yeah, so that's Space Force. <laughs> probably good if you like that sort of thing. Which is the most generic review that you could apply to almost anything. So yeah, as I was saying, the only regularly scheduled programming that I sort of managed to make an appointment for is the end of our show and that's I just think it's quite a good uh, platform for some scrutiny of 
uh, politicians. Uh, again, for anyone that's not familiar, uh, the Marshall begins with Mar and some journalists going over the Sunday morning headlines, which I think is sort of uh, interesting from a kind of a perspective of um, of journalists, really, just to sort of. I mean, it's not massively incisive, I don't think, but you do sort of. It's interesting to see what people's take is and why X paper has gone with this story and why Y paper might not have. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but yes, then it's a series of interviews with um, political figures from numerous parties and often. Uh, not a politician, but they'll often interview somebody else as well to give their perspective to, and occasionally sort of cultural bits and pieces, um, but I, I find it less relevant for that kind of coverage. But anyway, I watched it this morning, so it had uh, Anushka Astana on it, who uh, is the host of The Guardian's um, uh, Today in Focus daily podcast. She's great. I think she's very good. Uh, she's a great host and interviewer and sort of has quite a uh, affable, approachable style, but can also be quite incisive too. So she's great. And it's quite nice, actually, because, they, again, they were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter. And she referred to a couple of people that she'd interviewed um, in the last week or so, which I'd heard, which was quite nice to sort of hear her bringing those things up again. And, you know, certainly for a wider audience. So that was good. And I've got a lot of time for her. I think she's... Uh, yeah, I think she's a good egg. Um, and yeah, who else was on? So there was Lisa Nandy today, uh, whom don't mind Lisa Nandy. She seems okay, but she refused to call Donald Trump a racist, which I get, you know, maybe that's politically expedient of her, but it was a bit odd, really. Particularly, she was reflecting on her own experiences of racism as a as a mixed race person in her own life. So you think, I don't know, she might be more prepared to call him a racist. Particularly as Emily Thornberry had <laughs> her predecessor, um, Shadow Foreign Secretary, had not held back in saying that she thought Trump was a racist and a sexist, uh, which she didn't echo. So it's interesting. Is that her own? Um, I don't know. I mean, in real life, I'm sure she thinks the things Donald Trump says and does is racist, which would make him a racist. I'm sorry if I'm assuming too much there, but that's the basis on which I'm going to operate. Um, so whether she thinks not calling him a racist is something that she's chosen to remain on the fence about, or whether that's a directive from the leadership. Like, I don't know, I imagine under Jeremy Corbyn, ministers probably felt that they could be more expressive in that kind of thing. Is that something Keir Starmer's told him not to say? Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> not great, in my opinion. I mean, I get it. I suppose if you want to be in power, you maybe don't want to annoy the president. And maybe Jeremy Corbyn deep down didn't think he was ever going to be in power so had the freedom to say these kind of things that maybe Keir Starmer doesn't think he has but I don't know I think proper leadership is calling out people's wrongdoing 
that's what it is, but I think there is probably a way to say that yes, um, what he thinks he's done is racist without burning all your bridges there. Um, <laughs> we'll see, I suppose, if he remains in power after November and, you know, no one's, everyone's towing the line, then yeah, there you go. But anyway, so I was a bit sort of sceptical of Lisa and Andy there. She talked about other things, but that's the bit that I can remember and that stuck out. Um, I also spoke to Matt Hancock, which I thought just made a complete meal of his interview, to be honest. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. Matt Hancock is a strange figure, isn't he? I, so, in the Tory leadership campaign, uh, you know, I, he sort of put his hat forward. I don't think he lasted particularly long, but I think he was mm, vaguely on the more vaguely to the left side of the candidates, which, you know, I'm fairly sympathetic to. Um, yeah, and sort of when the crisis began, I don't know, sort of, <laughs> I could never do the job of health secretary, uh, particularly not in a pandemic, so I know it's a bit trite, but, you know, I sort of have a baseline level of admiration for anyone that is but as the crisis has gone on I just think he's got so much wrong I listened to a question time or watched question time that he was on near the start of it and I think he came across very well and I think part of the reason he did come across well was he was sort of willing to admit that you know willing to take advice from other candidate under other people on the panel and admit to faults and things which you know I think that's I think that that's a quality I admire but as it's gone on he doesn't seem to admit to faults and things anymore and you know there's a whole nonsense with his sort of arbitrary targets he's set for testing and things and then the way he's justified the different numbers are just complete nonsense really and um I mean there was a the footage of him I can't remember what show it was, but um, whatever interview he was doing the other week when he just burst into laughter, which I just thought was, yeah, I see where you're coming from here, but once you're being criticised for delivering something too soon rather than too late, yeah, there is an irony in that, but, you know, the forced laughter is either someone's trying way too hard to uh, pretend something's funny, or... And it's just coming from a guy that's <laughs> cracked. <laughs> you know, it, you know, the pressure has finally got to him and he, you know, can't do his job effectively anymore. Which, you know, under the circumstances, I would not blame him for. <laughs> but yeah, again, he was on there today. Um, he was. <laughs> so he was asked, again, in the context... So yeah, he made a bit of a meal of his, all the coronavirus questions and stuff. But he was also asked... Um, around uh, Black Lives Matter and he was asked um, he was asked something along the lines of you know should black people be concerned that there isn't because there are no black people in the cabinet um, is there someone speaking for them and fully understands their issues and, and things like that Some, something along those lines and he was asked on, a, on the Sophie Ridge show I think on Sky previous to Mar but uh, I think he was asked on both like how many members of the cabinet are black which the answer to that is zero and he mentioned um he was asked this question he said well you've got rishi sunak and you've got pretty patel i think he referred to them by 
near him. I think he referred to them by job title. And, you know, he was he was corrected to say, well, you know, they are B-A-N-E, but they're not black. And, again, just sort of the linguistical loops he was sort of going round in to try and not say, no, you're correct, there aren't any black people on the cabinet. Just say that. Like we know it's a fact. It's not. It's not even. You know. It's not figures that are hidden. It's. Uh, it's just a fact that anyone can find on Wikipedia. There are no black people in the cabinet, and you don't have to defend that as such, but just say that it's the case. Instead, he was. I don't know. He was saying, well, B A M E representation, and. Um, we have diversity of thought, which he thinks is more important, which is just... <sighs> yeah, as you can tell, I wasn't impressed by that answer. And, yeah, uh, just, I'm just sort of sick of... Um, sorry, I'm sounding angry. I guess I am. I'm sick of, like the Dominic Cummings not needing to apologise because he didn't do anything wrong, which we all know that happened. And it's just the same thing. It's like, no, it's a fact that there aren't any black people. Just say that. Just admit that. I would have more respect for you to say, yeah, you're right. There are no black people on the cabinet. You can then go on and say, but, you know, the people we have consider these positions. Or maybe they've got special advisors, advisors from the black community. Or you even go, you know, well, I think that would be tokenistic and you want the right people for the job, just say it, admit that that's the case, and then say whatever justification you might or might not think to have it. Because to do otherwise, it's just, it's not even lying, it's just warping the truth, I don't know, it's wrong, and it, it it's, and you can get away with it because, you know, 99% of people won't watch that, or even read about it afterwards. And the people that do, half of them care and will kick up a fuss, and half of them just don't care, or I don't know. But it's worrying. Perhaps this has always been the case, but it just seems to be this sort of this sort of forced reality that the government is trying to sort of get us to accept. Eh. Very worrying. Very, very concerning. Again, I'm concerned. <laughs> the final, well not the final, but uh, the only, well, now there's some other great people um, uh, on the show as well, but the only other person I wanted to mention this morning was um, a senator they had on from the United States, uh, which was interesting. He was a pro-Trump senator. and. I, you know, I was quite curious to see what he might say to a British audience, and yeah, <laughs> he was, he wasn't pleasant, uh, I mean, obviously, again, my political persuasions aren't ever going to agree with, you know, Donald Trump's government, but I was sort of curious to see how it's portrayed, and yeah, he was just nuts really but what I found really so egregious was he um, I was talking about the coronavirus he was very 
you know, not even hinting, he was saying that he had access to intelligence reports that China is actively trying to disrupt um, US and European attempts to find a virus, uh, a vaccine, sorry. Which is a pretty weighty claim, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, he was asked to, what have you seen that suggests that? And he said, well, I can't, you know, that's, uh, that's top secret. I can't talk about that. Of course not. I mean, but <laughs> what? So you're allowed to say that that's happening on television, but you're not allowed to provide any evidence for it? Okay. And I was just very surprised at Ma, who gets a lot of criticism, and I think is probably, I don't know, uh, I think he, well, he's interviewing Labour and Conservative MPs, he's very critical of both. Um, so I think he's probably fairly unbiased and unbalanced, but um, he gave this guy, he didn't really press him, but oh, that's an outrageous claim to say on national television and just present as a fact or even an opinion. But yeah, Mar just sort of, I don't know if he was a bit sideswiped by it, maybe. I mean, I found it pretty remarkable but just the fact you didn't sort of hold up what okay so you've got a but are you really telling us that like i don't know why why we're trying to be doing that <laughs> i mean sure um china and the us i'm sure are competing for to be the dominant country in the world but is that <laughs> really um we're going to actively disrupt Western research into a vaccine, and then if they get there first, yeah, I, it's a very, I mean, it's jingoistic, it's a racist thing to say, probably, um, and yeah, there was, I was disappointed, there's that word again, in Ma, for not scrutinising that more properly, it was a pretty wild thing to say, I think, but, you know, He's a representative of a pretty wild uh, government. So there you go. A bit long-winded. I hope sound quality was all right. It's, I've been trying to pause when cars come. Uh, it's not been especially windy, I don't think, but maybe the microphone is more sensitive than my self. don't know, but we'll see. Um, so thank you for listening, if you are, have, still are. Um, very much appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, I've tried to make the podcast available on a variety of platforms. Uh, uh, it's hosted by uh, Cast, which is what I use to listen to my podcasts, but it's on Spotify, it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on Google Podcasts, apparently. I should imagine that would cover 90% of platforms people use to listen to podcasts, but uh you know if uh, if it needs to be on something different then um just give me a shout at jack kirby on twitter um so yeah thank you for listening um i think i i should i have a a chat with some friends lined up uh, in the next week um because they're a lot more informed about a subject on the subject that i'd like to talk about uh, so that should be good, hopefully. 
and yeah, that's all I've got to say, really. Bit of a long one, but I don't know. I had a bit of a bit of a funny old week, and it's just nice to walk and talk about what's going on. So that's what I've done. Um, and yeah, okay. So stay safe, and I'll speak to you again soon.